Before our Bible reading, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read together the first 11 verses. Philippians chapter 2. And there's many important and precious chapters in the Holy Scriptures. <coughs> this is one chapter, of course, that I feel we're <coughs> treading like Moses in holy ground. <coughs> we'll take our time to read the first 11 verses. Follow with me if you have your Bible. If you haven't, then we trust that you'd share with someone else. Maybe you have an electronic device and you can read it for yourself. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy... Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every knee, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 11. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It reads, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now my theme today is the Apostle's powerful argument for a united front. So I've given you the text, Philippians 2 <coughs> verses 1 and 2, and here's the theme, a powerful argument for a united front. You see, chapter 2 makes a, a move away from the church standing against its external enemies. Remember his appeal in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, to another equally threatening problem, namely of internal division 
in the church. Literally, the Apostle Paul focuses on dealing with and seeing a problem without the church to seeing and dealing with a problem within the church. The Apostle Paul knows it's of little value to be united in opposition against foes without the church and fail to um, call forth a united front from within. The Apostle Paul knows that a joyful and peaceful and true unity is central and critical for the whole church of Christ. Now remember, he's in prison. And he has the people of God especially in his heart and mind. And as he thinks about the church in Philippi, he's well aware of the contentions and the conflict that exists in that local church. Hence his appeal for unity. He was well aware that God's people appeared to be despising each other. There was gossiping. There was unfair criticism. There was men jostling for position and prominence. Many were of a proud, egotistical, selfish spirit. At least two believers among the women folk couldn't talk to each other or look at each other without daggers coming out of their eyes. They were verbally abusing each other in public and in private. And, and he had to say to them in Philippians 4 verse 2, uh, he, he, he said this, I beseech Eodius and beseech Synthache that they be of the same mind in the Lord. See, Paul has already appealed to this church that they must be united together in striving for the faith of the gospel. He has counseled them to be of one mind and of one accord. He's well aware that sin is at work in the church. He knows that sin is robbing believers of joy and peace in the Lord. He knows that they're not really loving one another as they ought. They're not like-minded. Therefore, they're not really living out the gospel. And they're not of one accord. And it's robbing not only them of joy and peace in the Holy Ghost, but it's robbing him of joy. It's hurting him. He tells them in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He feels this sense of disunity, this disharmony. And he knows it's destroying and damning the testimony of the, the work of God. Unity is necessary. It's central. Disunity and disharmony among the saints, individually and the church collectively, hinders the work and progress of the gospel. It hinders the believer's prayer life. Outreach becomes... Uh, non-existent in that sense uh, the witness can stagnate the church is affected it's lost its joy its peace it, it affects the the whole spirit of worship it grieves and vexes the the holy spirit of god and and paul is aware of this he knows he's living in a world of where there's a great deal of disunity in the first century and what is true then is true today can we really say that the world since 9 11 has become a, a more polarized place 
And we can see this globally, this polarisation that's going on. We can see it nationally in our own land. Uh, and, and we can also see it domestically within the context of the political environment in Northern Ireland. You have got left and you've got right. Uh, you've got Republican, you've got Unionist. Different culture and outlook and, uh, and so on and so forth. But isn't it true that even in our homes and even in our churches, where a spirit of disunity exists, the individuals who live in the home or, or fellowship in the church is affected. And, and Paul's aware of this. Paul's a realist. So what he does is, is he moves into chapter 2 as he speaks, having spoke about the external enemies in the church and calls for a unity and united front to stand against it. He, he, he's well aware of those uh, internal divisions. So, so he, he, he deals with that. And, and here he is issuing a, a powerful argument for, for a united front. If you look at the text in these two verses, Paul is teaching the church individually and collectively that there is such a thing as a joyful, peaceful unity that can occur and ought to be among the people of God when they recognize and when they appreciate all that they have in Christ, when they come to grasp their identity in Christ. So I want us to think this morning of these first two verses of Philippians chapter 2. I want us to think of Paul's powerful argument for United Front. And I want you to think of four things. And they're there in the text. Notice the church's consolation in Christ. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. The word therefore means in light of this, and we take it at the immediate context of what he said, verses 27 down to 30. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. The word if, uh, it's not to create an element of doubt here. He's using what commentators call an if-then logical argument if certain things are true maybe we could change the word if and put the word since since such a thing is true then in light of it you're obliged to do certain things and this if then logical argument the four big ifs if then there's consolation in Christ if then there's comfort of love, if then there's fellowship of the Spirit, if then there's bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here's what you and I should be, united in a spirit of true unity. We are in Christ. And in Christ, we have great consolations. So, so that's really what he's saying. God's people are in Christ. That, that speaks of relationship. If you look back to chapter 1, verse 1, remember he wrote to uh, all the saints in Christ Jesus which are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. That's a reference to the believer's union with the Saviour. We are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. By nature, by natural birth, we're born in union with Adam. We sinned in Adam. We fell in Adam. 
but by God's grace and the spiritual birth, we're, we're born again of the Spirit and we're brought into a, a vital saving union with Jesus Christ, a, an organic union, and Christ dwells within us by faith. And we live spiritually in him. See, every true believer has a living, loving, lasting union with Christ. And you're either in Christ this morning or without Christ. And only you can answer what your true spiritual position really is. Let me ask this morning, young people, was there a time in your life when you got down on your knees and you confessed to God that you were a sinner, and you trusted Christ to become your Lord and Saviour. And then a moment you, you knew you were born of the Spirit, and, and you were washed in the blood, and you received him as the Lord of your life, and the Redeemer of your soul. Now, now, now if that is true of you this morning, there you're in Christ. And because, and here's the crux of Paul's argument, his appeal is, since you are in Christ, since you have a personal saving union with Jesus Christ, since you're already in Christ, then be of one mind in living for Christ among yourselves. Because you're in union with Christ as Lord and Saviour, then also recognize that you are in union with the rest of the people of God. That the rest of the saints at Philippi and every other true church. We must, in light of our union with Christ, live in harmony and in a spirit of unity with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he wanted them to, to recognize my union with Christ places me in union with every other believer who's also in Christ. So he's appealing to them because of what we are in Christ. And because we're in union not only with Christ but with all the saints in Christ, then disunity, disharmony, disloyalty is inconsistent with, with being in Christ and living out the gospel. I want you to notice not only the relationship here, but I want you to notice the reality here. If you think of the words, if there therefore be any consolation in Christ. Now the word consolation means encouragement. I want you to think of Barnabas for a moment. Wasn't he called in the book of Acts the son of consolation? In other words, literally, young people, the son of encouragement. And if I took the word consolation out and put encouragement in, if there be therefore any encouragement in Christ. We all need encouragement in life's journey. And they're especially true in the Christian life. There's times when we face many issues and problems. Times when we feel that our heads are hanging down. Never mind our hands and our knees are weak and feeble. And the Apostle Paul knew something. And it was this. That real encouragement is only found in Christ. 
Is it not often true that there's been times when we have not found an encouragement anywhere else except in Christ? Is not he the one who has promised never to fail us, forsake us, or forget us? Christians, professing Christians, can let you down. You can end up hurt. It can hinder your walk with Christ and your testimony for the gospel. Other sources and means of encouragement, well, like a well, they can dry up. But the Lord Jesus is an unfeeling well. And, and there's many encouragements in Christ. We were singing there, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And, and let's think of what we enjoy in Christ. Our physical blessings, our, our material blessings, our spiritual blessings. So, so if you're here this morning and you're discouraged, and you're here this morning and you've been hurt, and, and, and you, you, you feel that you're hindered in your walk with Christ. And you've been let down even by many of God's people. So much so that you maybe want to lash out at them in a verbal way. Or, or even hit them physically. Remember this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. Not only have you a relationship with him. But here's the reality. The best encourager in life's journey is the Lord himself. Because he sticks closer than a brother. Keep looking to the Lord. There's a story told about a thief. He broke into a man's house. He stole a lot of the man's goods. The man was a Christian. And the man, after he discovered what had happened, he told his neighbours, well, at least they left the bed. They left the table and the chair. They didn't steal my cooker. They could have stole the TV as well, and they didn't. They didn't even steal my Bible. So he says, therefore, I've got something to rejoice about. Now, I thought that was telling, because it was all to do with the man's attitude. It was the way he, he looked at it. And that's important. The church's consolation in Christ. I'm in a relationship with Christ. Therefore, I'm in a relationship with all the saints, all the brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, I have got great encouragement. I want you to think, secondly, of the, the church's comfort in Christ. It, it, it says here, if any comfort of love. The word comfort here means tender cheer. Now, now, what brings us the most tender cheer on life's journey? And I answer, is it not the love of God in Christ? You, you, you think of a, a man coming in from a hard day's work. It's been raining, bitterly cold, like, like Lawrence and Thomas Jackson have experienced here for a few days, putting on the steps. The, the snow has come. Husband comes in from work. Daddy comes home. He's wet. He's weary. He's maybe even weak from exhaustion and the cold. And when he heads home and he opens the door and he hears the voices of the children, Daddy's home. And maybe children run up into his arms and say, what did you bring me? 
Have you any sweets for me? Did you bring me a wee motor car? Have you a surprise for me? And maybe then hearing the voice of the wife. And she's telling him that he's had an awful day. And telling him that she's sorry he had to work on it. And he's greeted with what? He's greeted with tender cheer. And the voice of the children. The voice of the wife. Just you forget about the wet and the wild wintry day that's out there. And, and you focus then on that tender cheer that you're receiving at that moment. We, we we're going to sing in closing later on in the service, who can cheer the heart like Jesus? And of course there's none. And there's many things in the world that we can't find comfort in. You not find comfort in disharmony and disunity and dishonesty and depravity. In the workplace there'll be many things to um that you won't find comforting. Think of the language of many in the workplace, the swear words, the ticking of the Lord's name in vain. Uh, even think about university and professors who have a different worldview and maybe on the militant left and you're standing to, as a Bible-believing uh, individual and you're mocked and ridiculed for your worldview. And maybe in your home there, there's opposition to Christ and the gospel. You're the only one saved and, and life is hard and life is difficult and you feel, well, there's nothing really to cheer me. Well, think of this. Think of the tender love of God in Christ. We, we were singing there deliberately this morning, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Stop and think. God loves us in Christ. Not apart from Christ. Never outside of Christ. But only and always in Christ. And not because we're better than other people. Not because we've got great qualifications or because we're rich or anything like that. Not because we're holy and pure. Not because we deserve God's love. No. Remember we're all sinners. We're all equal before God. Listen to what God said to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy 7 and 7, the Lord did not love you. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any people, for ye are the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, which the Lord had brought out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the house of Pharaoh, even of Egypt. As I've said, remember we're all sinners. We're all equal in the sight of God. We're all marked with depravity. We're all foul, filthy, hell-deserving sinners. And why did he love us? Because he chose to. I have loved you because I love you. Isn't that amazing? We have been chosen in love from before the uh, world began. We have been called in Christ. We have been cleansed by the precious blood. We have been changed. And glory to God, we're cheered. If any comfort of love, the tender cheer of God in him, telling us, I love you because I love you. In living out the gospel, then the saints of God will think of the love of God in Christ. And the saints of God will have love one for another. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus said? <laughs> In um, John uh, chapter 13 uh, and in the uh, verse uh, 34, he, he told us there, John 13, uh, verse 34, 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. You see, if we're not loving one another, then we lash out at one another. I think of what James said in James chapter 3 and verse 2. If any man offend not in word. In, in other words, that man has got the control of his tongue. And we can offend other believers. And that offence can come by what we say. The, the tongue can cause offence. And, and Paul's advice to the Colossians was, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer any man. Guard your tongue. Is it right what I'm saying? Is it true what I'm saying? Is it time what I'm saying? Is it the right time to say it? Am I saying it in the right spirit and in the right manner? See, see, it all flows out if we're gripped with the love of God in Christ. And if we're living out the gospel and we're gripped with this love of God in Christ, then, then we'll have a love for each other. I want you to think thirdly. The church's communion in Christ. Look, look at these words in verse 1. If any fellowship of the Spirit. You see, we as believers are united to Christ in a saving union. And we're united to one another by the Spirit. Because we're born of the Spirit. We're, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Uh, we can be uh, filled with the Spirit of God. We also have gifts by the Spirit of God. We even think of Galatians 5 and 2 and mention is made of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Remember what he says in Galatians 5 and 2, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The consolation or fellowship of the Spirit. It's a reference to, to communion. Communion by the Spirit of God. See, see, we're in a partnership, a true partnership with, with rights and also with responsibilities. And because we're in a partnership with the Spirit of God who indwells our bodies, we'll not defile our bodies. Someone has said to me recently, but the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to smoke. It doesn't mention smoking, Mr. McLaughlin, and that's right. But we all know that smoking is not good for you. It affects your health. And in order not to live after the flesh... We have to live in the Spirit. And because we're born of the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, can be filled with the Spirit, knowing the gifts of the Spirit, knowing the fruit of the Spirit, and to live in the Spirit, the, 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 the Spirit we will not live after the, the cravings of the flesh. And, and we will recognize then that disunity and disharmony and dishonesty and depravity is not of the Spirit, it's of the flesh. And we'll know what sin is. And we'll confess sin. And we'll be yearn, yearning to be cleansed from our sin. And we'll be yearning to be covered by the precious blood. And here's his argument. If we're born of the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and have gifts and graces by the Spirit of God, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our life, then 
will not be division amongst the people of God. I think it's the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the communion of saints. Not only have communion with the Saviour, but we have communion with the saints. If we've got communion by the Spirit and in the Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And it's the Spirit that produces true unity. Wasn't this what the, the psalmist made reference to? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. What's it like? It is like the precious ointment. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. In other words, it never touched his flesh. The church's communion in Christ. And notice one other thing here. The church's compassion in Christ. It says at the end of verse 2, if any bowels and mercy. The word bowels and mercy speaks of strong affection. Seeing a brother and sister in need. And what do you do? Well, you can pray. But, but you can practically assist them to help them in their time of need. It was like the other morning there, I phoned James Lowe to tell him that there was a car stuck on the Killinger Road. There was two nurses trying to get up to visit a man who they'd got an emergency call to at the top of the road. And uh, we managed to get the car uh, moved that was stuck in the snow. It was beached. And then he actually drove them up in his Jeep uh, to where they had to go. Well, well that's seeing someone in need. We could really call it a random act of kindness. But, but this, this um, if there be any bowels and mercy. In other words, if there be any strong affection in your heart and mind for one another, that, 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 that strong affection will be expressed in love and acts of ransom kindness. And what is true of individuals is especially true of the saints. Imagine a saint in need, discouraged, heart, hindered in the Christian life, and there's not one to lift a hand to help. There's not one to, to come and put a, a, an arm around the shoulder. There's not one to, to, to speak to with a word of cheer. And, and that's what Paul is getting at here. Think of Joseph. Whenever he's seen Benjamin, his brother, the Bible tells us that his bowels were moved. In other words, he, he had compassion. He had, he had strong affection. He, he was reduced to tears. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he of course believed that it was wrong to preach the gospel to a man that had no bread and was hungry in his belly. And his attitude was to provide bread and also provide the gospel. And I believe, of course, in humanitarian kindness and I believe the church should be involved in helping in any humanitarian way in which we can. But there's many working in agencies today who are, are all bred and, and no gospel. And of course the, the, the church's difficulty in part of that. I, I think of what Paul or John says, but whoso hath this word's goods and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Do you see the argument? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed. And the truth. Let's not just say I love you with our tongue. Let's not just have a word 
poor you, but let's do anything that we can practically within our means to help especially our brother and sister in Christ. And if it's true about random acts of kindness in relation to total strangers or nurses stuck in snow, and we've heard of some uh, tremendous things that have happened. I think of even one nurse got a lift to the hospital on a tractor by a man in the south of Ireland. And, you know, in that sense... If they're struggling families in a fellowship, then the rest of the fellowship that can help do what they can. And that's a way to overcome and avoid fights, fears, and fallouts. So think this morning of this. Our consolation in Christ. Think of the fact that we're in Christ and have a relationship Think of the the reality of Christ being the best and the great encourager that there ever was. For we have consolation in him. Think of our comfort. Think of our communion. And think of our compassion. Paul says in light of this now. This consolation, this comfort, this uh, communion, this compassion. In light of this, fulfill ye my joy. Be like-minded, one accord and one mind. Be loving, having the same love one for another. You see, here's, here's the expression, here's the example, here's the exhortation of this, the, the practical outworking of our union in Christ. This is Paul's argument for them to have a united front within the context of their church family and their church fellowship. I trust this morning as we open up this Philippians chapter 2 chapter, as we come towards chapter 2 verse 5, the mind of Christ will begin to see what Paul is really getting at here uh, to this particular church in Philippi whom he has in his heart. I trust these few words this morning will be of help and blessing and uh, we look forward to the expounding of the rest of this particular uh, portion of scripture.